Section 10 of Myths and Legends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lizzie Driver. Myths and Legends of Ancient Greece and Rome by E. M. Berens. Sea Divinities. Oceanus. Oceanus was the son of Uranus and Gea. He was a personification of the ever-flowing stream, which, according to the primitive notions of the early Greeks, encircled the world, and from which sprang all the rivers and streams that watered the earth. He was married to Tethys, one of the Titans, and was the father of a numerous progeny called the Oceanides, who are said to have been three thousand in number. He alone, of all the Titans, refrained from taking part against Zeus in the Titomachia, and was, on that account, the only one of the primeval divinities permitted to retain his dominion under the new dynasty. Nereus Nereus appears to be in the personification of the sea in its calm and placid moods, and was, after Poseidon, the most important of the sea deities. He is represented as a kind and benevolent old man, possessing the gift of prophecy, and presiding more particularly over the Aegean Sea, of which he was considered to be the protecting spirit. There he dwelt with his wife Doris, and their fifty blooming daughters, the Nereides, beneath the waves in a beautiful grotto-palace, and was ever ready to assist distressed mariners in the hour of danger. Proteus Proteus more formally known as the Old Man of the Sea, was a son of Poseidon and gifted with prophetic power. But he had an invincible objection to being consulted in his capacity as seer, and those who wished him to foretell events watched for the hour of noon, when he was in the habit of coming up to the island of Pharos, with Poseidon's flock of seals, which he tended at the bottom of the sea. Surrounded by these creatures of the deep, he used to slumber beneath the grateful shade of the rocks. This was the favourable moment to seize the prophet, who, in order to avoid importunities, would change himself into an infinite variety of forms. But patience gained the day, for, if he were only held long enough, he became wearied at last, and, resuming his true form, gave the information desired, after which he dived down again to the bottom of the sea, "'accompanied by the animals he tended. "'Triton and the Tritons. "'Triton was the only son of Poseidon and Amphirity, "'but he possessed little influence, "'being altogether a minor divinity. "'He is usually represented as preceding his father "'and acting as his trumpeteer, "'using a conch-shell for this purpose. "'He lived with his parents in their beautiful golden palace "'beneath the sea at Aegea and his favourite pastime was to ride over the billows on horses or sea-monsters. Triton is always represented as half-man, half-fish, the body below the waist terminating in the tail of a dolphin. We frequently find mention of Tritons, who were either the offspring or kindred of Triton. Glaucus Glaucus is said to have become a sea-divinity in the following manner. While angling one day, he observed that the fish he caught, and threw on the bank, at once nibbled at the grass and then leaped back into the water. His curiosity was naturally excited, 
and he proceeded to gratify it by taking up a few blades and testing them. No sooner was this done, obeying an irresistible impulse, he precipitated himself into the deep and became a sea-god. Like most sea divinities, he was gifted with prophetic power, and each year visited all the islands and coasts, with a train of marine monsters, foretelling all kinds of evil. Hence fishermen dreaded his approach, and endeavoured by prayer and fasting to avert the misfortunes which he prophesied. He is often represented floating on the billows, his body covered with mussels, seaweed, and shells, wearing a full beard and long flowing hair, and bitterly bewailing his immortality. Thetis The silver-footed fair-haired Thetis, who plays an important part in the mythology of Greece, was the daughter of Nereus, or, as some assert, of Poseidon. Her grace and beauty were so remarkable that Zeus and Poseidon both sought an alliance with her, but, as it had been foretold that a son of hers would gain supremacy over his father, they relinquished their intentions, and she became the wife of Peleus, son of Aeacus. Like Proteus, Thetis possessed the power of transforming herself into a variety of different shapes, and when wooed by Peleus, she exerted this power in order to elude him. But, knowing that persistence would eventually succeed, he held her fast until she assumed her true form. Their nuptials were celebrated with the utmost pomp and magnificence, and were honoured by the presence of all the gods and goddesses, with the exception of Eris. How the goddess of discord resented her exclusion from the marriage festivities has already been shown. Thetis ever retained great influence over the mighty lord of heaven, which, as we shall see hereafter, she used in favour of her renowned son Achilles in the Trojan War. When Halcone plunged into the sea in despair after the shipwreck and death of her husband, King Sykes, Thetis transformed both husband and wife into the birds called kingfishers, halcones, which, with the tender affection which characterised the unfortunate couple, always fly in pairs. The idea of the ancients was that these birds brought forth their young in nests, which float on the surface of the sea in calm weather, before and after the shortest day, when Thetis was said to keep the water smooth and tranquil for their especial benefit. Hence the term halcyon days, which signifies a period of rest and untroubled felicity. Thomas, Phorcus, and Ceto, the early Greeks, with their extraordinary power of personifying all and every attribute of nature, gave a distinct personality to those mighty wonders of the deep which, in all ages, have afforded matter of speculation to educated and uneducated alike. Among these personifications we find Thomas, Phorcus, and their sister Ceto, who were the offspring of Pontus. Thomas, whose name signifies wonder, typifies that peculiar translucent condition of the surface of the sea when it reflects, mirror-like, various images and appears to hold in its transparent embrace the flaming stars and illuminated cities, which are so frequently reflected on its glassy bosom. Thomas married the lovely Electra, whose name signifies the sparkling light produced by electricity, daughter of Oceanus. Her amber-coloured hair was of such rare beauty that none of her fair-haired sisters could compare with her, and when she wept, her tears— 
being too precious to be lost, formed drops of shining amber. Forkis and Zito personified more especially the hidden perils and terrors of the ocean. They were parents of the Gorgons, the Greer, and the Dragon, which guarded the golden apples of the Hesperides. Leosophy Leosophy was originally a mortal named Aino, daughter of Cadmus, king of Thebes. She married Athamas, king of Orchomenus, who, incensed at her unnatural conduct to her stepchildren, persuaded her and her son to the seashore, when, seeing no hope of escape, she flung herself with the child into the deep. They were kindly received by the Nereides, and became sea divinities under the name of Leocophy and Palamon. THE SIRENS The sirens would appear to have been personifications of those numerous rocks and unseen dangers which abound on the south-west coast of Italy. They were sea-nymphs, with the upper part of the body that of a maiden, and the lower that of a seabird, having wings attached to their shoulders, and were endowed with such wonderful voices that their sweet songs are said to have lured mariners to destruction. Ares, Mars Ares, the son of Zeus and Hera, was the god of war, who gloried in strife for its own sake. He loved the tumult and havoc of the battlefield, and delighted in slaughter and extermination. In fact, he presents no benevolent aspect which could possibly react favourably upon human life. Epic poets, in particular, represent the god of battles as a wild, ungovernable warrior, who passes through the armies like a whirlwind, hurling to the ground the brave and cowardly alike, destroying chariots and helmets, and triumphing over the terrible desolation which he produces. In all the myths concerning Ares, his sister Athena ever appears in opposition to him, endeavouring by every means in her power to defeat his bloodthirsty designs. Thus she assists the divine hero Diomedes at the siege of Troy, to overcome Ares in battle, and so well does he profit by a timely aid, that he succeeds in wounding the sanguinary ward-god, who makes his exit from the field, roaring like ten thousand bulls. Ares appears to have been an object of aversion to all the gods of Olympus, Aphrodite alone excepted. As the son of Hera, he had inherited from his mother the strongest feelings of independence and contradiction, and as he took delight in upsetting that peaceful course of state life, which was preeminently the care of Zeus to establish, he was naturally disliked and even hated by him. When wounded by Diomedes, as above related, he complains to his father, but receives no sympathy from the otherwise kindly and beneficent ruler of Olympus, who thus angrily addresses him, Do not trouble me with thy complaints, thou who art of all the gods of Olympus most hateful to me for thou delightest in naught, save war and strife. The very spirit of thy mother lives in thee, and wert thou not my own son, long ago wouldst thou have lain deeper down in the bowels of the earth than the son of Uranus. Ares, upon one occasion, incurred the anger of Poseidon by slaying his son Halireotheus, who had insulted Alicope, the daughter of the war-god. For this deed, Poseidon summoned Ares to appear before the tribunal of the Olympic gods, which was held upon a hill in Athens. 
Ares was acquitted, and this event is supposed to have given rise to the name Aerophagus, or Hill of Ares, which afterwards became so famous as a court of justice. In the Gigantomachia, Ares was defeated by the Alodi, the two giant sons of Poseidon, who put him in chains and kept him in prison for thirteen months. Ares is represented as a man of youthful appearance. His tall, muscular form combines great strength with wonderful agility. In his right hand he bears a sword or a mighty lance, while on the left arm he carries his round shield. His demonical surroundings are terror and fear. Enyo, the goddess of the war-cry, Chaodemus, the demon of the noise-battles, and Eris, contention, his twin sister and companion, who always precedes his chariot when he rushes to the fight, the latter being evidently a smile of the poets to express the fact that war follows contention. Eris is represented as a woman of florid complexion, with dishevelled hair, and her whole appearance angry and menacing. In one hand she brandishes a poignard and a hissing adder, whilst in the other she carries a burning torch. Her dress is torn and disorderly, and her hair entwined with venomous snakes. This divinity was never invoked by mortals, except when they desired her assistance for the accomplishment of evil purposes. Mars The Roman divinity most closely resembling the Greek Ares, and identified with him, was called Mars, Marmers, and Mars-spitter, or Father Mars. The earliest Italian tribes, who were mostly engaged in the pursuit of husbandry, regarded this deity more especially as the god of spring, who vanquished the powers of winter, and encouraged the peaceful arts of agriculture. But with the Romans, who were an essentially warlike nation, Mars gradually lost his peaceful character, and, as god of war, attains, after Jupiter, the highest position among the Olympic gods. The Romans looked upon him as their special protector, and declared him to have been the father of Romulus and Remus, the founders of their city. But although he was especially worshipped in Rome as god of war, he still continued to preside over agriculture, and was also the protecting deity who watched over the welfare of the state. As the god who strode with warlike step to the battlefield, he was called Gradivus, from Gradus a step, it being popularly believed by the Romans that he himself marched before them to battle, and acted as their invisible protector. As a presiding deity of agriculture, he was styled Sylvanus, whilst in his character as guardian of the state, he bore the name of Quirinus. The priests of Mars were twelve in number, and were called Salai, or the dancers, from the fact that sacred dances in full armour formed an important item in their peculiar ceremonial. This religious order, the members of which were always chosen from the noblest families in Rome, was first instituted by Numa Pompulus, who entrusted to their special charge the Ancelli, or sacred shields. It is said that one morning, when Numa was imploring the protection of Jupiter for the newly founded city of Rome, the god of heaven, as though in answer to his prayer, sent down an oblong brazen shield, and, 
as it fell at the feet of the king, a voice was heard announcing that on its preservation depended the future safety and prosperity of Rome. In order, therefore, to lessen the chances of this sacred treasure being abstracted, Numa caused eleven more to be made exactly like it, which were then given into the care of the Salai. The assistance and protection of the god of war was always solemnly invoked before the departure of a Roman army for the field of battle, and any reverses of fortune were invariably ascribed to his anger, which was accordingly propitiated by means of extraordinary sin-offerings and prayers. In Rome, a field, called the Campus Martius, was dedicated to Mars. It was a large, open space, in which armies were collected and reviewed, general assemblies of the people held, and the young nobility trained to martial exercises. The most celebrated and magnificent of the numerous temples built by the Romans, in honour of this deity, was the one erected by Augustus, in the Forum, to commemorate the overthrow of the murderers of Caesar. Of all the existing statues of Mars, the most renowned is that, in the Villa Ludvosi at Rome, in which he is represented as a powerful, muscular man, in the full vigour of youth. The attitude is that of thoughtful repose, but the short, curly hair, dilated nostrils, and strongly marked features leave no doubt as the force and turbulence of his character. At his feet, the sculptor has placed the little god of love, who looks up all undaunted at the mighty war-god, as though mischievously conscious that this unusually quiet mood is attributed to his influence. Religious festivals in honour of Mars were generally held in the month of March, but he had also a festival on the Ides of October, when chariot races took place, after which the right-hand horse of the team which had drawn the victorious chariot was sacrificed to him. In ancient times, human sacrifices, more especially prisoners of war, were offered to him, but, at a later period, this cruel practice was discontinued. The attributes of this divinity are the helmet, shield, and spear. The animals consecrated to him were the wolf, horse, vulture, and woodpecker. Intimately associated with Mars in his character as god of war was a goddess called Bellona, who was evidently the female divinity of battle with one or other of the primitive nations of Italy, most probably the Sabines, and is usually seen accompanying Mars, whose war chariot she guides. Bellona appears on the battlefield, inspired with mad rage, cruelty, and the love of extermination. She is in full armour, her hair is dishevelled, and she bears a scourge in one hand and a lance in the other. A temple was erected to her on the campus Martius. Before the entrance to this edifice stood a pillar, over which a spear was thrown when war was publicly declared. Nike, Victoria Nike, the goddess of victory, was the daughter of the Titan's palace and of Styx, the presiding nymph of the river of that name in the lower world. In her status, Nike somewhat resembles Athena, but may easily be recognized by her large graceful wings and flowing drapery, which is negligently fastened on her right shoulder, and only partially conceals her lovely form. 
In her left hand she holds aloft a crown of laurel, and in the right a palm branch. In ancient sculpture Nike is usually represented in connection with colossal statues of Zeus or Pallas Athena, in which case she is life-sized, and stands on a ball held in the open palm of the deity she accompanies. Sometimes she is represented engaged in inscribing the victory of a conqueror on his shield, her right foot being slightly raised and placed on a ball. A celebrated temple was erected to this divinity on the Acropolis at Athens, which is still to be seen, and is in excellent preservation. Victoria Under the name of Victoria, Knight was highly honoured by the Romans, with whom the love of conquest was an all-absorbing characteristic. There were several sanctuaries in Rome dedicated to her, the principal of which was on the capital, where it was the custom of generals, after success had attended their arms, to erect statues to the goddess in commemoration of their victories. The most magnificent of these statues was that raised by Augustus, after the Battle of Actium. A festival was celebrated in honour of Nike on the 12th of April. End of section 10